I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Governor Herbert. Text 57500 or call him at 801-575-8255. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Well, we've got a ton of texts and we've got a lot of people waiting on the line. And let's get right to those uh, phone calls. But we had a very, very important text come in just a moment, Governor, a moment ago. This is something we probably need to address right off the bat. Okay. Governor Herbert, who is going to walk away with the W tonight between Utah or Weber State. You can handle that one. Oh, yes. I am Utah's well, Mr. Listen, Sports, but I'm dumping this on you. I'll tell you, Doug, I've got a good answer for this one. You know, some of my friends are for Weber State and the Wildcats. Some of my friends are for the University of Utah and the Utes. And I can tell you this governor is squarely in the corner of his friends. And so uh, <laughs> I, I, whoever wins uh, tonight's game will have a big win. And so we encourage both of them to go out and play hard, play fair, and uh, good luck. That's going to be in the sound bites coming up in the <laughs> yeah. news, I'm sure. Well, the governor makes be. the official yeah. prediction. Let's go to Tremont in Utah, and uh, Janet is on the line. And Janet's question is going to reflect a lot of questions that I'm seeing on our text message board. Janet, go ahead with the governor. Thanks. Thank you, Governor, for taking my call. You bet. Uh, my, my question is, we're hitting opioid addiction so hard and the prescription uh, so hard to the point of people who take opioids for chronic pain are feeling guilty. And we've got a proposition about marijuana. We're sending two messages here. Well, uh, that's probably part of the issue. Is it's a little complex and it's a little hard to get our hands around it, particularly with, I think, a lot of misinformation that's out there. Uh, what I think we all agree to is, one, uh, if you have pain and suffering, uh, we'd like to find medical relief. And that typically is done by doing scientific research, finding out what proposed medicines will do, have the clinical studies, have it FDA approved, and then allow a doctor to take a look at your unique situation and make a prescription. They'll prescribe whatever they need to to help uh, with your ailment. That's then controlled and, and distributed by a pharmacist who will give the right dosage we protect the quality and the amounts, and uh, we don't just have self-medication But for these kinds of things. The opioid thing was, uh, at least the allegations being made are, that those who created opioids did not say, oh, by the way, this can become very addictive. 
And so the opioid crisis, which has been going on for three or four years and really has been top of mind for the National Governors Association, uh, has been a big issue. And we're seeing some benefits for that heightened awareness and taking some corrective actions on opioids. That being said, for for the medical use of marijuana, I wish we had started on this discussion when it should have been done, you know, years ago. I mean, Congress has been fiddling around on this thing and the administration by having it on the Schedule One list, which means you really don't have the ability to do the research and do the testing that's necessary to find out what, based on science, are the medical benefits of marijuana. They have two different uh, particles of marijuana plant, the CDB oil, which people think helps with seizures. THC, which just has recently been approved, by the way. You can actually get a prescription now from your doctor on THC, which is the hallucinogenic. They believe actually has some benefits to helping people with chemotherapy on cancer. But we have extremes out there where people say there's nothing good that can come from the marijuana plant for a medicinal, a medicinal purpose. And we have the others say it will cure cancer. And if you take marijuana, it will shrink uh, you know, tumors. I think both extremes of that are wrong, by the way. Most everybody agrees we ought to have access to medical marijuana for medicinal purposes that will relieve pain and suffering. My opposition to Proposition 2, which is kind of the bottom line question, is because although I think we ought to have access to marijuana as a medicine, there's probably a right way to do it in a wrong way. The Congress has, has not done what they needed to be doing. So we've got to find a bridge. Uh, but the initiative itself has a lot of unintended consequences, a lack of control, and uh, uh, maybe the ability to have proliferation in ways that we would not want. I know nobody's arguing for recreational marijuana, but that might be part of the unintended consequence. So I'm going to vote no on on Proposition 2 uh, because I think it's got, it has a lot of problems. Even the proponents, by the way, admit and agree that there are, in fact, needs for improvement in the initiative. And initiative is not really a good way to make laws. You don't have the ability to amend or modify it or improve. You take the initiative warts and all. So if it doesn't pass, then what has to happen? We need to come with the legislature and create a better piece of law. I'm committed to doing that. I think most in the legislature and most outside the legislature say we need to have the ability to have access to medical marijuana. But let's have the safeguards in place for public safety, public health, public finance. And uh, those things can happen in a new bill. If it does pass, then we need to come back with the legislature and improve it to take out some of the problems that are legitimately recognized there and improve the bill itself. And I think we can bring stakeholders together. I think we can end in a good place and get a piece of legislation that we as Utahns uh, feel good about in the proverbial win-win. So that's where we're at, and I think that's the direction we'll take, and I think we'll end up getting a good result. Governor, maybe just a quick follow-up, because it was a week ago today, if I remember correctly, that uh, a gathering of real heavy hitters in our community from every aspect of the community, from medical, from law enforcement, from uh, the religious point of view, uh, a lot of uh, folks were there at that press conference where they came out not necessarily against medicinal marijuana. As a matter of fact, many of them clarified that they are very much for looking into it and the possibilities of medicinal marijuana, but encourage people as, and you just indicated you would vote against it as well, encouraged people to vote against uh, this particular uh, uh, proposition or Mm -hmm. initiative. 
What kind of sway? Because it included, as I mentioned, religious leaders, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through Elder Gerard was there and made their feelings clear. Is it too little, too late? Uh, 77% of Utahns say they are strongly for or leaning toward this initiative. Well, I don't know whether it's too little, too late. Uh, I guess time will tell. We'll see what influence the coalition, of which the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is just one part. There's other religious organizations or other entities out there. I don't believe this is a religious issue. I believe this is about good policy. This is about health care. This is about what can we do to help people that have pain and suffering and is marijuana and its derivatives, is there an ability for us to use that to help? The state of Utah believes so. We've passed, in fact, a law allowing uh, marijuana to be used in certain circumstances. We've passed a law for CDBE, uh, CDB oil for seizures. My do- uh, sister has a daughter that has a need for that and is, is using that. Hasn't had a lot of success, but she's tried it, and a lot of people are trying to see with hope, is there some medicine out there that will give us relief? That's why I say we ought to have the science. We ought not to have anecdotal stories, and and we ought to really know what the science bears. And so we ought to do the research. We're trying to do some of that, by the way, at the University of Utah right now. So um, this is not about religion. This is about policy. This is about health care. I think a desire to have a new medicine uh, available. Uh, and, and we do have... Uh, Approval now for CDB oil. And just two weeks ago, this is uh, breaking news. I haven't seen a lot of coverage on it, but the uh, FDA has approved a THC. That's the hallucinogenic aspect of marijuana to help with people that have uh, chemotherapy and uh, treatment for cancer. Helps them with some of the pain, helps them with some of the maybe getting their uh, digestive system working again so they, they can eat better. So there is some work. It's small steps. It's stuff that we should have been doing 10, 12 years ago or more. But I think we're moving in a direction that we can bring everybody together. I think the end result of this, either way, is going to be positive for the state of Utah. I just wish the federal government would get off their hindquarters and actually do what they're supposed to be doing and help lead the way on getting scientific uh, understanding and FDA approval on a substance that really has maybe potential for good, but eliminate the potential for harm at the same time. Let's go to Kent, who is waiting on the line to speak with you. Governor, Kent is in South Jordan. Hi, Kent. Hi, how are you? Good, Kent. How are you doing? Good, thanks. As a state employee, I've seen over the past 10, 12 years that our our pay increase each year has gone mostly towards health care, which, as you know, has gone is is less and less in coverage and drugs go up to tier three and things of that nature and then the uh the pay portion of the benefit is still been around two percent i wondered if uh state employees will be able to share in the uh success that the state has had over the last year or two in uh well, it's a good question, Kent, and I, let's say I certainly hope so. You certainly deserve to share in the success of our state, and, and particularly the success, not just only the economic growth, which we're having now and we're prospering well, but because of the fact we have efficiency in state government. That's really where I think your argument is, is hey, the best employees in America in the state governments are here in Utah. Uh, we actually have fewer state employees today in spite of right. tremendous growth of our population 
You'd have to go back to the year 2001. You are, and technology has helped us to do that. Uh, You're very productive. You're good workers. So uh, we've tried to cover the cost of living and give an additional bump up in salary increases, whether it be two or three. We've given some discretion to to division heads and department heads as far as how they'll apportion that to uh, worthy recipients of uh, a pay increase. But there's no question in my mind you deserve to have some increase in salaries and we are actually going out and doing market surveys to make sure that we're paying right. at the market level, uh, comparable to the private sector, not necessarily the highest, but certainly not the lowest, and uh, finding that kind of mid-level, mid, mid medium there uh, with some of the perks that come from working with government. We have a, we have a better uh, uh, package when it comes to benefits than, say, the private sector. We're more rich there. We sometimes are a little bit lower on the hourly salaries. But uh, we are our benefit package is more robust. So taking all total compensation into place, we want to make sure that we're paying all of our employees what I'd call fairly. And uh, so uh, our intent would be, uh, you see the budget coming out here in this fall, as we propose it, we'll have a cost of living adjustment as well as a salary increase, I believe. Kent, we appreciate your phone call. Let's do take just a brief break here. We'll come back. We have several phone lines available. Uh, boy, Governor, uh, the the medicinal marijuana thing is, is the hot topic today. But I think we've uh, devoted quite a bit of time to that. So I would encourage uh, those who perhaps have uh, another question for the governor to get on the phone line. I have several te- that are very interesting here, but yeah. boy, this is the hot topic today. It, it is, and let me just before you go to the break here, just say that I'm, I appreciate the fact that people are involved, and there's legitimate arguments on both sides of this issue. To uh, to say you are wrong and you have nothing to say or to contribute on either side is wrong. We need to say, you know what? There's benefits. It appears. There's a right way to do this. And there's maybe some legitimate concerns about the initiative. Like I say, even the proponents have said, yeah, this is not perfect and it needs to be modified. So let's come together. Let's find out where that legislation should be. Uh, I'm going to vote against it, but I certainly plan on coming back and fixing if the initiative passes so we have land at a place that everybody can feel good about. And that's for medicinal use of marijuana. And not opening doors for recreational marijuana, but for medicinal use. That's what everybody says they want. So let's get involved. I I hope that people out there listening would talk to their legislators and say, you know what, I want medicinal marijuana. I want it done right. So if there are problems out there with this initiative or if we have to start over, let's make sure we do it right. And I I think our legislators will respond to that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. KSL Talk is our number on Let Me Speak to the Governor. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. Several uh, hot issues still remain, obviously, out there. We'd love to take your phone calls, and I'm going to share some of the texts that have uh, come in as well. Uh, This texter just a few moments ago, Governor, said, could you give everybody an update on how your talks with schools and finding ways to keep our kids in the schools uh, safe, especially from school shootings, how that has gone? Well, we've had a lot of productive talks uh, with our school administrators, our principals, our superintendents, our school boards. Uh, Clearly, it's an issue that we all have concern about. And, uh, you know, the the worry is that something untoward can happen and we'd have one of the same kind of things we've seen in Florida or Texas happen in Utah. So when the the Parkland shooting took place in Florida, the first thing we did is we asked every principal in the state to review their school, 
and what their protocol is and what are they doing. For example, you know, fire drills. Are you doing them? And if we're doing fire drills, should we be doing something about maybe an active shooter or uh, if we're doing something, if we had an earthquake, you know, or a kidnap uh, issue. There's a lot of different varieties that we need to be practicing and be aware of. And they've reported back to us. We've taken that. We've assimilated it. We've given recommendations out there. We've had a legislative task force, and we've had a task force that has stakeholders from the private sector, the public sector, schools, et cetera. We've come up with a number of recommendations. And we know that one size doesn't fit all. You know, the architecture of an old school is different than the architecture of a new school. How do we retrofit? How do we control access? Uh, so we're looking at the physical opportunities. I was out in Twilla here just a week ago and uh, talked to the students out there. But we, more importantly, we talked to the administration and we talked to school counselors. We also saw a demonstration of a, uh, a local product here from what's called One Door, which allows doors to be put into the walls. You don't see them. You don't notice them. But at the press of a button, within five seconds, all of a sudden the, the school is compartmentalized. You can isolate a shooter. Uh, a, a criminal that's in there. You can isolate the, uh, the children so they, they're not in harm's way. It's just one tool of many. Uh, last but not least, and I think we need to start talking about this more openly, and that's root causes. You know, is it the disintegration of the family? The fact we have a lot of families across this uh, country that don't have fathers there, I think that has an impact. We ought to be bold enough and willing enough to talk about these issues and see what are the root causes. The first lady, my good wife, Jeanette, her initiative in Utah is on parenting. Where do you learn the parenting skills? How do you teach your kids right from wrong? How do you teach them good values and and uh, make sure that they have good mental health? Now, not everybody comes from an ideal family. They have a lot of broken homes. I believe that everybody, every student ought to have an adult outside of their home that they have some confidence in that can help them, a teacher, a coach, uh, you know, a religious leader. But one of my emphasis is going to be on more counseling. We, we have a shortage of counselors. We didn't even have counselors in elementary school until we put it in the budget here a couple of years ago, and now we have some. But counseling can, and can be not only counseling to have you college and career ready, which is what we think about, but also to ascertain mental health. Uh, is there problems? Have you got some troubles? What can we do to help you? We can get you the help you need. Intercept that. Our Utah Safe app, which is designed to help us alert people. But more importantly, help us with counseling to alert us to a problem and intercept it before it becomes a big problem. We found that the characteristics of those who want to commit suicide, self-harm, have the same traits as those who want to go out and cause harm to others in these shootings. So there's a corollary. There's things we can do, and we will do. We're going to be spending a lot more money, more resources uh, on these kinds of issues. Again, I'll just put in a plug. You know, we have a, 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 a what is it, a, a Proposition 1 uh, on, the, on the ballot about question, question number 1, question number 1 on the ballot about increasing the gasoline tax. And that's something we ought to all support. We have needs out there in education. We're doing well, but we can do so much better. We needed some additional money. Uh, this will make sure that those who use the roads pay for the roads. But we'll stop robbing money out of the general fund that could go into education. So I hope people out there will assess that. It's, it's not a lot of money. It's, a, it's an adjustment really over inflation over the last 18 years. We have not adjusted the gasoline tax. So it's something we ought to do just as a matter of course. But this money will all be going into education, and that extra $300 million that it will generate will be put to good work, including having better counseling, better safe conditions, and more prevention 
so we don't have a, 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 an incident sometime in the future. This ties into a question that just came in on our text message board, Governor. This uh, individual, I think it ties into question one and everything that you have just mentioned. But specifically, this texter asks, what uh, will the state do to make sure that we hire and keep quality teachers? Well, we have a teacher shortage. We, like I said earlier, we have a shortage in about every discipline out there in the economy, which is the challenge of having a very healthy economy. We are fast growing. We have not only in migration coupled with our high birth rate, so we're growing very rapidly, but our economy is exploding even more rapidly. So we have more jobs than we have people. What the adjustment will be is more salaries to encourage people to say, here's a good discipline, here's a good profession, and teaching is one of those. And so we are seeing, I just met with the UEA uh, president here just the other day, and they're encouraged that salaries are going up. We'll be able to attract more good people into the teaching profession and not only recruit them there, but retain them. But I think you're going to see a significant increase in salaries. We're seeing a significant increase in salaries across the board, but I think you're going to see a dramatic increase in teacher salaries. Governor, for those who might not know what uh, question one is, maybe you could just very quickly give us a little thumbnail of what that uh, is all about and where the monies would go, and uh, that will pretty much do it for the show. Well, it's a complex issue because it's a gasoline tax increase. The request, it's an opinion, uh, really, of the public. Would you be willing to support a 10-cent per gallon gasoline tax increase. And our legislature is part of the compromise with the our schools now who wanted to increase the income tax said, look, that's probably going to be harmful to the economy, whereas a gasoline tax, uh, really not so much. And nobody likes to have a, a tax increase, but this is money that's going to be earmarked for education. So what happens is that those who use the roads more will pay more as the gasoline tax, but we will now quit taking money out of the general fund, which we've always used to augment education. So that means, in essence, $300 million more million will be able to go into education over and above what we traditionally do. And that can be put into a lot of areas of need. So I think it's a wise move to, to make. Clearly, if you want to have continued economic success, the key to that is have uh, a skilled labor force into the future that has the skills that align up with the demands of the marketplace into the future, which is now a global marketplace. So more money and resources in education is a good investment for our future. Governor, it's always great to have you here on the program. Obviously, it's uh, it's a show all about being able to chat with you. Let me speak to the governor. Governor, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, and welcome back, Doug. Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where all the buttons are here and trying to get my muscle memory back. <laughs> governor Gary Herbert with us on Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for being part of the program today.